part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're sitting down, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. We actually were looking at a little bit of Matthew chapter 7 in our young marriage class this morning looking at some of the applications of what Christ said right before this. That was not by design to, to cover one section there, and I'll come in here and, and get to the rest of the passage. I actually had something else prepared for this morning. Uh, and somebody asked me one time, you know, how did pastors kind of find out what they're going to preach? And uh, it, it is not an exact science whatsoever. It is one of those things. But, but there's not like this little ticker that we spin either, and it opens up to a book. Uh, it's just one of those things that as God begins to, to work on your heart and your mind, brings back something uh, more and more and more. You just think that that's where God is moving. And as I said, knowing that we we're going to be out of town all of last week had prepared something in one direction. We're in, in between a sermon series right now. Just finished up Jonah. We're going to start a brand new sermon series August 6th. About seven lives, seven lives that were greatly transformed by Christ going to the Gospels and seeing these lives that were totally transformed when they met Christ and he began to transform their heart and their mind and their lives. So we'll start that August 6th. But we have a couple of weeks in between here. And, uh, but all during the week, we were gone last week, we went to my oldest daughters and my son-in-laws. They're buying their first house and our bought their first house, closed on Monday. And they invited us up to... Uh, uh, kind of look over the inspection list. The inspector came in, and there's uh, about 150 kind of, you know, things. And they didn't know what was urgent and what wasn't. I mean, they're first-time home buyers. They've always rented it in the past. So if there was a problem, they call somebody, and they come. And now they realize they own this. And it's one of those things that if it breaks, they have to fix it. And so that harsh reality. And so uh, my daughter Colin said, Dad, can you help us? And you know, because some of those things, you know, the guy, the inspector is kind of justifying his fee. And so he's going to put all kinds of things on there. And I said, that's nothing, you know, you can live in this house 20 years and that's never going to be a problem. But other things were urgent. So part of our help was there. The other thing that we were going to do is um, they said, you know, the house needs to be cleaned. Uh, hasn't been lived in for quite some time. And they were going to get a cleaning crew. And that's when my daughter Ashley said, we have a cleaning crew. And uh, nobody quite cleans. I mean, this girl, uh, you could do surgery in there after she's done, just cleans. And, and so we were kind of looking at that. And uh, so we went up there, got there about 2.30. Not trying to bore you with details, but I want you to understand where this all came from. And it really is kind of a, a necessary foundation to understand the scripture in the light of what God was telling me in my heart. Got there about 2.30, switched, you know, changed clothes. And by that evening, by the time the sun was down, we'd already worked in the yard, trimmed all the bushes, cut back a whole bunch of stuff. The inside was, I think the kitchen is where you started, was starting to be clean, or maybe one of the bathrooms. And so, I mean, got there at 2.30, we were working at 2.31. Uh, the next days, up maybe 5.15, 5.30, out the door by 7, 7.30ish, to about 9.30, 10 o'clock every night, not moving whatsoever. They would bring food and kind of replenish us. And so 14, 15-hour days of just nonstop. All to say, we are old and we are feeble. And we, by the end of the week, I mean, Carly with some of the carpal tunnel, you know, cannot even, you know, trying to get ready this morning was aching. And I won't even tell you where, you know, I ache all over. And yet, here was the resounding thing, guys. 
Here's what God kept on bringing back. I mean, it was really hot there. We were doing all kinds of getting underneath the crawl space, you know, spiders and this, that, and the other. It's amazing what you do for your kids. It's amazing what you do for your kids. And as much as that sounds a little bit like sacrifice, and, and even, oh, that's so heroic to do that, it wasn't heroic at all. You do it out of love. And here's the greatest thing. There was, not, there was a smile on my face the entire week. The joy that comes from loving on your kids and being able to see the joy in their face, in their lives. I don't have to tell a single parent here. And that's why God kept on bringing back this passage in Matthew chapter 7. If you as this kind of parent here on earth, a fallen sinful parent, if you know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more do I, your Heavenly Father, know how to give you good gifts? And he just kept on bringing that back and bringing it back. And it wasn't just the reminder that he give good, good, gives good gifts. It's the joy. Do you really understand? Do you grasp? Do we begin to grasp the joy that God has in his fathering of you in your lives? I mean, all week. I mean, when it was it seemed like 120 degrees out there, working out there, and yet you got this smile on your face because, you know, hey, this yard's going to look good. They're going to have their first house. As we were painting and doing all this stuff, you're going, you know, they just wanted this little bit painted. Well, we painted the whole house. You know, you're not going to stop. Why? Because not because you're some terrific dad or mom, because it's the nature of what God has put into that beautiful relationship. You love your kids. You sacrifice. You give. Why? Because you love but all that time, you're not thinking, okay, they owe us. Man. No, you think, with great joy, do I do this? Have you ever transferred that over to this passage, what God says, that in his fathering of you, that he takes great joy? And sometimes, I, I don't know how you pray, but have you ever fallen into that trap? Maybe when things really get kind of just really off in your own spiritual life or maybe it's just a really harsh time in your life and you pray pleadingly to God like you're having to pull it out of God? Have you ever prayed that way? Maybe because it was the desperation of the situation. And so you just pray, you know, God, we have to have this money to pay rent this month or the mortgage or whatever. And maybe it was the seriousness of the situation. But other times, have you just felt like, okay, it was you... And then there was God, and there was a whole bunch of distance in between. And so you prayed because you knew it was the right thing to do. And yet, it did not seem like Abba Father. It seemed more like Creator God. Here's the transforming message of the New Testament, guys. Old Testament, it's not that He's not Abba Father, but we don't see the fullness of that because we don't see the fullness of the work of Christ, that finished work of Christ. And so in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, God's elect people, as he calls them out, they make a word for the personal name of God that is unpronounceable. They don't even put vowels in there so that nobody would say it. Because they said, don't you dare say the name of God. Don't you get that personal with God. God is to be awed and reverent. And you kind of stay pretty much far away because you're a sinful man. And all of that is true. I mean, there's a reason why the Old Testament is that it's not two different gods, though. We don't go from kind of old, stogie, standoffish God in the Old Testament, fire and thunder and lightning, to this, ah, come here, you big, 
goof and give me a hug. We don't, we don't do that. He's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet what we see because of the work of Christ, because of the work of the gospel, what we see is this personal relationship come in. We begin to see that one of the transforming messages of the New Testament is this whole idea of the Father. Christ uses the word over 150 times. Peter uses it. Paul uses it. John uses it. Father. What does that have to do with the message this morning? Look at Matthew 7:11. Again, we're going to start at the end and then go back and then work back up to this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, and we're, we're going to, what is, why did he call us evil? We're going to find out why Christ said this. Again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. A multitude of people. You have Jewish people. You have Gentile people. You have scribes and Pharisees, really religious people. You have really irreligious people all in this crowd. And he's given this Sermon on the Mount. But it's a, a, a sermon. The Sermon on the Mount is a drawing a line. Hey, here's what it means to follow Christ and you come. Here, here's what it means. It's, it's a call on your life. It's hard at times. And here's people that don't want to follow Christ. And so the whole sermon is kind of this drawing a line. And people are going, okay, if this was what it means to follow Christ, but I want to do that. And so they kind of come over here. So it's drawing a line. And here's what he says. If you then, who are evil, and he's talking about the whole crowd that was there, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to, to those who ask him? When my kids were uh, asking them for a task, Dad, you, 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 y'all have done enough. You don't need to do this. No, what do y'all want done? If we've got to leave on Saturday morning, what do you want done? And not that we're going to go to God with our task list, but in the same way that I wanted to know from my son-in-law and my daughter, what do y'all need done before we leave and go back? I wanted the things, not that I thought were important, but I really wanted to know what do you need that maybe you can't do for yourself. And I started thinking, okay, God, there are so many things I can't do for myself. Do I take that same attitude and that same mindset when I come to you in my prayer life? Because one thing that God is trying to, that Christ is speaking about here is, is really our prayer life. This section of the Sermon on the Mount is talking about how we address God. And he's trying to give us a framework of the heart and the mind of God in relationship to his followers. One of the great truths. Yes, he is holy God. Don't you forget that for a moment. Yes, he is a judging God. He's the God who will judge. We talked about that last week. There is a justice, not our own form of justice, but there will be justice. And remember last week he said that passage in Isaiah 53 that is so hard sometimes to to grasp that it pleased the Father to crush his Son, that is Christ. Why did it? Because justice was done. You and I get to stand before the throne one day, even though we have sinned greatly here on earth, and we can go there and, and we will be found not guilty, not because we weren't guilty, but because we've been made clean from the work of Christ and the blood of Christ. And so we will really, God won't have to fudge. Have you ever been to Six Flags or a park? They said, you must be this tall. And so you went there and you fudged a little bit kind of either put the really big shoes on or you stood on your tippy toes because you wanted to ride that ride and you were this close and so you you kind of fudged a little. When it comes to us standing before a holy God in judgment one day, guys, God's not going to say, look at me. 
And I would look at Carly and say, oh, yeah, you're definitely in. And then look at me and go, you know, I'm going to have to fudge on this guy. Yeah. No, because of the work of Christ. I don't see myself all the time this way, but he certainly does. He sees me through the mirror, or through the prism of, the, of that cross, and he sees a completion, a work that is already finished. It's an amazing thing. It's great theology. But it's very practical in that theology. And so what we see is this, there is this awesome God that is out there, and yet we begin to see in the New Testament this part of God that we really don't see in the Old Testament. We see seven occurrences where it's kind of mentions Father in that capacity. In the Old Testament, the, the boatload of them, out of the 250 plus times that it's mentioned in the Bible, they're, they're all in the New Testament. Why? Because now through that work of Christ, there was this relationship that is identified by a lot of different writers. Here, here's what John said, 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that's what we are. John's writing. Now, is he talking about all of humanity? Let me make this distinction very front, very much up front. This is not the 1960s. And, you know, not that it just started in the 1960s, but in the 1960s, very prevalent kind of mindset. We're all just the children of God. And it was kind of just this kind of thought process. That's not biblical, guys. We all are created by God. Nothing that has been created is not created by God, and and specifically Christ. So in one way, we're all creations of God. God loves everybody. He doesn't just love some and not love others. He loves everybody. But to have this relationship, it comes through the work of Jesus Christ. And, And so we can't just look generically at the world and say, well, you know, you're just all the children of God. No, you're all the creation of God. You're all loved by God. But you're not all the children of God in this reference. John is not talking about the mass of humanity. He's talking about those who've trusted the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Because it's very important. Because we do live in a world where we just want to kind of blend it out and say, well, you know, we're all the children of God. In one way, you would say that in that general sense of creation of God, but not in the way that they're talking about here. Well, Bobby, that's kind of mean. No, it's just. It's not mean at all. In fact, what's really just is that none of us would have earned it. The Bible says that we've all fallen. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And yet, we have that opportunity to trust the work of Christ. That's the difference maker. Not the goodness of man, but those who have placed their trust in Christ. It's the only difference between me and somebody else who's walking without Christ. It's not that I've learned more moral code. I'm better at walking that moral code. No, guys. Only difference. The only difference is Jesus Christ. So that's how John approached it. Listen to how Paul approached it. Romans 8, 13, uh, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that Abba, you've probably heard this before. That's kind of that intimate term that uh, in the Middle East, that's what they would call their daddy. It's the same equivalence of what we would say, daddy or papa. If I become a grandparent one day, that's what I've already chosen. I, I realize you go with whatever the kid says. If the kid says 
Rumpelstiltskin, then you're Rumpelstiltskin. I, I realize that whatever they say, that's what they kind of call you. But I'm really hoping, and I'm going to be praying, and I'm going to kind of, you know, signs, Papa, Papa. So I just, there's something about the intimacy of Papa. And that's what this word is. And Paul, who I don't see as Mr. Feelings, he's not Mr. just wearing his affections on his sleeve. He's pretty, legal, you know, kind of legal mindset, pretty matter-of-fact kind of guy, black and white. And yet, the intimacy of what he writes here. He says, man, because of what Christ has done, now the Spirit is, the very Spirit of God Himself has confirmed in your heart that you can call Him Abba. That's your Heavenly Father. Folks, that's not, He wasn't trying to be disrespectful. He wasn't trying to water that down because He is still sovereign God, but He said, here's the personal relationship that you can have with Him. And we begin to see this promise that God has put there for all Christians, not for all people, but for everybody who trusts the work of Christ. What is this promise? Let's go now back to verse 7. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Perhaps one of the most misapplied verses in all the Bible. Because a lot of people kind of treat this as their lottery ticket. You know, okay, I'm just going to ask God. It's a blank check, and, you know, okay, God's just going to fill it out. It was never intended. When we keep it in the context of what Christ is preaching... And we keep it into what he said and not what we interpret. It is not a blank check. It is not number one for everybody. This was meant specifically for the church, for the body of Christ, for believers who have placed their trust in Christ. It is not a blank check. And it is not a lucky rabbit's foot. This isn't something where, okay, ask, seek, knock, and God's going to do it. That's not the purpose of this verse. At the same time, sometimes when we uh, apply it in that very broad thing, sometimes we too define it. Well, I'm not going to bother God with this because that probably is not a big deal with God. I promise you there's a lot of things that I've prayed about that in my mind it wasn't a big deal to God, but because it was a big deal to me, it became a big deal to him. Not because all of a sudden it intimidated him or this, that, and the other, but he did not want me to fall back into that spirit of fear. Do you get that? not all of a sudden that, you know, God got consumed with my worry, my fear, this, that, and the other. He just didn't want to drum me back to that. So he pulls me close to him, and that which concerns me becomes a concern of him in the, sensu- in the situation that it's not that he's wringing his hands over it, but it's kind of like that list that Ashley gave me three pages long from the inspector. You know, all that it took, okay, honey, this is... You know, that's not a big deal. You can live in this house for a hundred more years, and that's not going to be a big deal. Yes, that little trim piece could be put in there, but it's not going to affect any of your living here. She's all freaking out about it. Until Daddy said, it's not a big deal. The lack of knowledge and ignorance, is this a big deal? The minute Daddy said... From his limited knowledge and, I guess, you know, a little bit less ignorance when it comes to the house. No, it's not a big deal. And you can see the relief come to her. Folks, that's what God has said. He said, look, I got this. There's so many things in your lives that you don't have. You want to have. You want to, to be able to, 
to, to, to put your arms around it, sickness, trouble in the family, difficulties, and you're trying your best to grasp. And, and there's times that we just have to come to Abba Father, our Heavenly Father, and say, God, I don't have a grasp on this, but you do, and I trust in that. I trust that you've got this, because I know I don't. And so Christ begins to say, he gives us this. It's not a formula. It's not a recipe for prayer. Okay, I'm asking, I'm seeking, and boy, am I knocking. That's not what this verse is about. But at the same time, guys, don't water it down and don't think that we don't have access to a Heavenly Father that truly does. Just in the same way that my daughter would come to me, I want it. Hey, what is on your heart and your mind? What bothers you so that we can cross that off the list before I leave town? And we've got a Heavenly Father that never leaves town. 24-7, He's there. Verse 9 and 10. Look real closely here. Or which of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you go to the passage in Luke, where it records the Sermon on the Mount, Luke has a, a, a different way. He says, okay, if you ask for an egg, would give him a scorpion. So we have three different things. What does this mean? Well, he's taking things that kind of looked like one another. It wasn't so much the danger thing of, okay, ask for a fish, because fish is something that they would steadily eat, and it gives them a snake because the snake can bite him. He's not really coming with the danger factor so much. Even when he asks about the scorpion and the egg, there is a danger factor there. But these things look similar. Can we go to that next picture? Uh, do you see the stones are in the back, the bread's in the front? And, you know, a lot of times, uh, in fact, we think when Jesus was tempted, when he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days, and Satan goes, can he turn those rocks into bread? Remember, he hasn't eaten in 40 days. When you haven't eaten in 40 days, and you see the smooth stones out there that kind of look like bread, you want bread. And that was the temptation that he put before Jesus. Oh, if you're really the son of God, then turn those rocks into bread. It wasn't that there was this jagged thing that didn't even look like bread. It probably looked like bread, and because of the sun beating on it, it probably even had that little heat wave kind of going up from it going, that looks like warm bread. That's what he says. He said, look, moms and dads, your, your kids come up and they're hungry. Which of you, when he's asking for food, for bread, would give him stone, something that he needs Something that won't satisfy the need. Do you get the connection there? Now, we live in a fallen world, guys. And there's a, every one of us as parents are imperfect, okay? But would you agree that one of the most, I hate to use the word redeeming, let me use the word admirable, that one of the most admirable traits of mankind is the way that we love our kids? I'm not saying that it's redeeming, that it will save you, because you did a really good job. But, and I know that there's a lot of evil parents out there. I mean, we, we hear some horror stories. But when you say by and large, by and large, would you agree that one of the most admirable traits of humanity is that we seem to really love our kids pretty well? We may not do a lot of other things well, but when it comes to our kids, we at least halfway get that right. That's the illustration that Jesus is using. He takes something that was a strength in their life, something that they were able to do, 
an emotion, a feeling, an action. I mean, even though you felt like it, baby's crying at 2 a.m. in the morning, and you felt like saying, deal with it. You don't. Mommy or daddy gets up. I'm not talking about just that normal cry, you know, that they need to go back to sleep, but we're talking about the kind of cry like, okay, there's an evil one in there. <laughs> that kind of cry. <laughs> They're really sick. They're really hurting. They're really something. And you go in there. And, and are you dead tired? Yes. Are you able to barely keep it together yourself? Yes. And yet what do you do as a mom, as a dad? You go in there and you just love on your kid. You say, God, would give me the grace, give me the strength just to meet my kid's needs. That's where Jesus is coming from. He's using a, a favorable admirable trait in our lives. Something that we don't get a whole bunch right, but at least this parenting thing, we really do aspire greatly for our kids. And if there one is one sincere kind of love that we have in our life, it's for our kids, guys. And he takes that. And he puts out these rhetorical questions. The inferences, of course, you would not give a kid that needs bread because he's hungry, give him a stone and say, okay, go chew on that for a little while. Of course you're going to give him bread. When he talks about a snake and, and, and a fish, there are some fish there, more eel than fish, that kind of look like a fish. Uh, I mean, and so that's what he's talking about there. He's not talking about, okay, would you give him this dangerous rattlesnake? He's talking about something that looks the same and yet it does not satisfy. It is not helpful. It's hurtful. He said, parents, you get that right. So what he's doing is a compare and contrast to give us a high watermark. And so I left off one, two, three, and four because I think everybody here on a parenting level of at least your intentions of how you want to raise your kids and how you love your kids and the kind of sacrifice, the kind of care that you give to your kids. I don't think that there's anybody in here that would get a one, a two, a three, or four. Maybe you could point back to your own life and say, you know, I had a dad was like that, and that's why this is always such a hurtful thing. Because I realize that not everybody comes from a Christian home, and I realize that not everybody had the best upbringing. I realize that. And till this day, it's still one of the most difficult things for a lot of people to imagine God as a Heavenly Father because they did not have a good father in that sense. And it's, it's a major conflict for them. But, but looking out among you today, and I can imagine that you that are parents, where would you put your high-level mark of your care for your kids? At least your intentions, if not always your application, but, most, but even mostly even your application. Would you give yourself an eight? I don't see any yeses. I don't see any noes. Eight? Nine? Aaron, I'll just pick on you because you're sitting in front. Okay. Come on. Your intentions, at least, of how you love those boys. I would say a ten. Everybody that knows Aaron, how many of y'all would say a ten? Yeah. That's not a prideful thing to, for us to admit. This is our intention. This is how we want to raise our kids. We want to raise them to be Christ followers. We want them to be, you know, handsome young men that, that do these kind of things are noble and valiant. And so you and Chris, are, you're, you're working that in, and there's frustrating days. Yeah. 
because they're acting like a negative too, right? Well, he said, potty training. Well, he said, you know, this is always tested by the potty training years. You know, those are the days, okay, I give up, you know. Where is your high water mark? This is important for us to get in your mind. Roche, again, we're just being honest. I mean, I, this is not a prideful thing. I see how you love your kids. Your intentions, your desire. Ten. Kelly, I, I see your intentions, your desire. Yeah. Do you get the drift here? Do you get the drift? This is what Christ is doing. He's really, he's using this as an illustration because he wants us to set a high water mark. Hey, here's your heart. Here's your intentions. Okay, so you got your mark? Nine or a ten? Next verse. He did the compare. Now here's the contrast. If you then, who are evil, he means fallen, you're sinful. We're not perfect like God. Amen? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, if you're aiming for ten, if you're trying to knock it out of the park to make those young men valiant, noble young men to marry well and to lead their families well, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Do you see what he's doing? He says, look, (laughs) this isn't a cut. All of a sudden, when he talks about evil, do you feel offended now? I mean, when you just first read and somebody comes up and goes, well, you know, you evil man, Cleve, you know, that's kind of offensive. There's not too many people that you just sit there and, you know, when you say evil, that they're going, well, thanks. (laughs) But do do you see? The compare and contrast isn't that he's just calling you evil. He's saying, even you who are fallen, sinful people, imperfect, and we all admit it, even you are a 9 and a 10 when it comes to this child thing and your intentions for your children. This is your desire. You don't live it out all the time, but this is what you want. Then how much more does your perfect and holy Heavenly Father desire to, to give you good gifts? That's not a blank check. This isn't a lucky rabbit's foot. If your son comes up, I saw these Rambo knives, and I want one. And this the blade is like this. What's Mama going to say? Yeah. <laughs> but can you imagine that a four-year-old boy, five-year-old boy, has there ever been a four-year-old boy, five-year-old boy, that if they saw a knife, especially if Daddy had one like it, wouldn't want that knife? I mean, can you imagine? I, I want one of those. Have you ever had kids that were fascinated by the fireplace? They want to go and they want to get close. Do you let them go? But mommy, I want to. No, you put your foot down. This isn't a blank check. This isn't, okay, whatever you ask, you just get. Because God in his wisdom and his love for you, he says, okay, there's going to be times I'm going to say no. But it's going to be a good no. It's a maturing no. It all gets down to trusting the heart of the Father. That's what he's talking about. If you, as well-intended parents, imperfect as we are, have at least the best intentions for your children, how much more does your Heavenly Father have that? This is what we've got in the relationship. And let me end with this. 
we're truly old. And we found out Saturday when we were coming back how old we were. I mean, bodies completely stove up. I mean, completely spent from a week of, you know, 14-hour days. And smiles on our faces. Because of the great joy of loving on our kids. And we go to a Heavenly Father who does not get old, does not get all worn out, does not say, you again? It is with great joy when we come and say, God, I'm not making it today. God, I, you know, you said forgive, and I'm not finding forgiveness in my heart. You said to do this, and I'm not finding it in my heart. And God, I come to you. This is the passage. This is the passage. We go to a, not to a God who's sitting there going, yeah, but you know, you haven't earned this. You haven't done this. We come to a father who not only has the intentions of a ten, he has the ability to be a ten, and he is a ten, perfect in all his way. Ten thousand reasons that we just sang about of the blessings that he gives us day after day after day, even when it doesn't seem like a blessing for the moment. In the big picture, remember, we get focused here. When you stretch it out, we're going to go, God, what wisdom you showed me five years ago. This is what I thought, but here's what you've done to mature me to give me wisdom. We have a father who not only supplies what we need, but does it with great joy. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to, you know, he's not giving it begrudgingly in the same joy. And that's what God just kept on putting in my heart. As I was out there working and having the best time of my life, loving on my child. And he said, Bobby, this pales in comparison, as, as admirable as that is, it pales in comparison of how I love and the joy I have with you, my son. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're that kind of God. Sometimes, Father, when we pray, we feel like we're trying to pull something out that, uh, that you don't want to give us. And, and maybe sometimes you do restrict things and you say no, but, but it's because it's a good no. Our lack of wisdom, our lack of understanding. But, Father, help us to trust your heart implicitly. Father, help us to understand that as we come to you, that, Father, it is not perfection, Father, that we can bring. Father, we just come confessing that we need you. We need you every hour. Father, we don't have to come all dressed up. We don't have to come all fixed up, Father. That we come just as we are. And we can come and put our full faith and trust in Christ. And by the miracle of your provision and his sacrifice, we become the children of God. Thank you, Father. That there wasn't a checklist that we had to go down and meet all these requirements that Christ has met every requirement. Now, Father, open our minds and our hearts so that we can spark trust and faith in him. As we pray this in the beautiful name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org.
or find us on Facebook.